I would like to, at this opportunity, wish everyone, okay, Chuknesi Mochanjik Phailo, wish all of you a happy Mother's Day. And I don't mean just the mothers, but even expectant mothers, uh, but also the non-mothers who have the heart of a mother. We all know of some people, whether you be an auntie or an older sister, who are very motherly to see the nieces and nephews and other people's children. And this is the spirit we're celebrating. And that is what makes a person a special mother is not a biological accident, but the heart of a mother is what we're cherishing. The heart that says, I care. The heart that's willing to go the extra mile. And that applies to many people, even those who have never been mothers. So I don't want anyone who is not a mother to feel, oh, we're left out. No, this is a dedication to you too. On Mother's Day, I like to remind everyone to be good to their mothers and appreciate them more. The Bible tells us we should do this in Ephesians chapter 6. David, could you read for us Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 to 3? Um, yes. <clears throat> um, children, obey your parents in, in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That is, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Uh, here, this is the first commandment that has a promise connected with it. That if we honor our parents, honor our father and mother, obey what they say in the Lord, that does not mean to obey your parents outside the Lord or doing anything that's bad, but in the thing that is God honoring, this is the right thing for you to do. If your parents ask you to do something, we're trying to teach you something that's in the Lord, that's something that we ought to do because we have the promise that things will go well with us and that we chances are that we may live long and prosperous here on earth. But that's not the end uh, goal. It's not the goal that we do this just so that we can live long, but because to be God honoring and to be uh, honoring to our parents in obedience to his commandments here. But today's message is not about how to be good to your mother. I'll mention a little bit about that, but the main focus is going to be about a particular mother that's in the Bible and in the rabbinic literature that we have to read background on. About a mother who had to make some tough choices for the welfare of her son. Sometimes parents, especially mothers, had to make hard choices that they really don't want to make but they have to do it for the best interest of their children. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Where sometimes your parents may have to make a decision that is good for you, even though you may not like it or they may not like it either. You see, being a mother or a father, especially during these times when a traditional family is being attacked, it's not for the faint of heart. It requires faithfulness, devotion, tough decisions, sometimes heart-wrenching decision that requires you to walk in faith, faith in God. Abraham Lincoln, whom I consider one of the greatest president who ever lived, 
we hear a lot about his mom, I mean, his wife, but we don't often hear about his mother. Abraham Lincoln said, all that I am or ever hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. Nancy Lincoln was a very devout woman who taught her son about life, about hard work, about chores, about being honest, about being faithful to God and the Bible. She died when he was only nine years of age. But just through the brief time of recollection, probably between four and nine, with only five years that she had him at a cognizant level, she made such an impression on him that those five years lasted a lifetime. All that I am or ever hope to be, he said, I owe to my angel mother who taught him right and wrong, what's good and what is bad, what is righteous and what is wicked. She, he lost her see, when he was only nine years of age. But the, the virtues that the mother had imparted in him persisted throughout his life. We have to understand that when we celebrate our mothers, don't you realize that we are honoring God? That this is worship? We honor God when we celebrate our mother because the Bible tells us to do so. So we shouldn't forget our mothers. And mothers, don't forget. There's a reason why you are here too. And that you're a training ground. You're a mentor to your daughters and future daughters-in-law. To set by a good example of prayer. Like Nancy Lincoln did to Abraham Lincoln. In Titus chapter 2, verses 1 down to verse 5. Uh, see, uh, Danny, uh, I think I saw Danny's name up there. Uh, Danny, see, saw him there for a moment. Oh, there you are. Danny, would you like to read that for us, please? Yeah. Teach sound doctrine. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Uh-huh. Revealed. So, uh -huh. so here we, we can see here the admonition of Paul to Titus. Uh, one of the pastoral epistles on how to guide the church, the pastoral epistles. As for the women, teach what accords with sound doctrine, which means you have to understand there are some doctrines that are taught that are not in accordance with the scriptures. And the older women ought to be reverent in behavior. This is nothing worse you can imagine and imagine an, an old woman trying to act like she's a teenager you can imagine it's just as bad as having an old man act like uh, he's a teenager 
going through a midlife crisis. We all know how silly that can appear. But that there be reverent behavior, not slanders or uh, addicted to much wine, not to get drunk, and to teach what is good and to train, to teach, but also to train. That means by means of uh, upbringing the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled and pure, and so on. I, and there's a case of Lot's wife. Well, here's an example, one that mm, it didn't turn out so well. We, we don't know a whole lot about Lot's wife. We don't even know her name. We read about her in Genesis chapter 19. The only thing we know about her was that she had two daughters and then when some bad men wanted to come and bless other people, she offered her daughters to them. Wow, that's terrible. And then we sometimes, uh, some parents say, hey, instead of my getting hurt, uh, why don't you take my kids? That's not the mark of a good mom or a good dad for that matter here. And then see, when the angels appear, I would see during the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels said to follow me and he, that they would lead them to safety, Lot and his family. And he said, but one thing I'm telling you, do not look back. And this mother, this dubious mom, she wondered, but she's just got curiosity and and then when the fire and brimstone came down, scholars uh, point out that in this lake nearby Sodom is a sulfurous lake where occasionally you will have eruption of sulfurous pit and sometimes get spewed out things. And this is what God's plan could be what happened here. When troubles came, she looked back and the Bible said that she was turned into a pillar of salt, where it means literally it turned into a pillar of sodium chloride or some other types of salt or just salt-like, we don't know. But uh, tradition has it though, of course, we doubt this is literally so, but tradition has, you see, if you go by, see the Dead Sea, near the city of Sodom, you see this lone figure here that Danny has seen before and, Tim and I, we visit the Holy Land. I hope all of you have a chance to visit someday. It's a life-changing experience. They say traditionally, they say this is a statue of Lot's wife. Frozen in time. Let's not be frozen in the past. Yes, we all made mistakes in the past, but we can't go back. No matter what, see, we wish we could have done differently. We can't undo the past. We could just make a better future. So let's not live in the past and dwell in it and kick ourselves in, in, in the rear because of some shortcomings in the past. But let's look forward to the future to do a better tomorrow. Let me ask, who do you think is the mother of this child? The one on the left? or the one on the right? Okay, I'm not asking for a show of hand, but you might just answer to yourself. Well, 
most people and uh, psychologists would say, it is indeed the one on the left. And that is her legs are pointed slightly towards a child and her face is turned slightly towards a child. The lady on the right, her legs are slightly turned away from the child and is looking straight ahead. Like she's more interested in looking what the other woman is doing. Whereas the other lady is looking more towards the child that most likely is the one on the left. This is the kind of insight, the difference between a non-mother and a mother, one who cares. We read about this in the story of 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 17 to 27. We read about uh, when there were two women that live in the same household. One got pregnant and had a child. The second one had uh, got pregnant and had a child. And as they were laying together, uh, the next day, uh, one of the women woke up, found that her child was dead. Perhaps she rolled on top of the child, we don't know. But we do know that she took the dead ba baby and placed it next to the other woman and took the other woman's child. So when the uh, second woman woke up, she realized that the baby was dead. But when she looked at it, she said, that's not my child. And she said, you took my baby. And the woman that woke up earlier, who was the mother of the dead child, said, no, this is my child. So they had such a ruckus here. It was eventually brought to the attention of King Solomon. And they argue, well, this is my child. This is your child. He said, she said, and all this and back and forth. You hear all these type of arguments you hear like in everyday life. And Solomon looked at the two women and says, enough of this. Bring me a sword. All right, you both want the baby? Good, I'll cut the baby in half. And you each get to have one. And the uh, one who's not the true mother says, go ahead. Huh. And then the one who's a true mother, no, no, please don't, please don't. She can have the baby. She can have it. Please, but don't harm the baby. And Solomon said, that is the true mother, the mother who cares, the mother who looks, the mother who turns towards the child, as opposed to the woman who gazes away. In the same way, here's a true story. Uh, I don't know the name of the person, but I, I was reading about this a true story. It's about a hospital researcher. And uh, she was pregnant and she oh, hated to go to work every day, hate to dress up, hate to pack her attache case for her workload. Oh, she admits that she is losing interest in her career and find herself reading everything inside about babies and childcare. And when she gets off work, it seemed like everywhere she went, she see mothers comfortably dressed casually, playing with their kids. She go to the grocery store and she sees mothers giggling, playing with their kids on the shopping cart. She walk, she goes out and she sees them, a mother and children walking their dog together. She see them playing at the park. She see them playing together in the front yard and she was, oh, I hate my job. 
I wish I could live a, a carefree life like that. Well, what do you think happened? Well, the baby was born and child as he grew older, started attending school. So we're now talking about someone's entering into kindergarten. Then she started noticing everywhere, hmm, women dress smartly uh, in, uh, in European, uh, British and uh, uh, Hong Kong. A lot of times when you say the person dressed smart, they mean dressed nicely. And he saw the women dressed smartly serving a variety of helping profession. She admired those women who were so focused and organized in whatever they did. And she felt she was going crazy at home, trying to cook and, and prepare and clean house and take care of the child, not getting enough sleep. She was worn out frazzled. She was once so focused, once so admired by those in the helping profession before she got pregnant. Oh, now she wished she could be like that again. So you see the cycle. God intends it that way, that women during her pregnancy, her entire brain and the chemistry of her brain gets seen to be rewired to show focus towards child care, maternal care. It seems to be that God has wired women that way. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, they showed on television old, old black and white movie called The Good Earth. I said, hey, I read that book when I was in high school for English class. It's a 1937 movie. I'm disappointed that they haven't made a more recent uh, one of this. But in 1938, it won the Academy Award for the Best Actress and Best Cinematography. Of course, they had Caucasian actors. That was norm at the time. Probably not because of anything like discrimination so much as that probably would have been difficult to find uh, a Chinese person who spoke fluent uh, English back then. But the lady, not the lady you see in that picture right there here, that was like a concubine, but the lady that portrayed the wife she won an Academy Award and she looked pretty much like an Asian. In fact, when I saw, I was quite stunned by it. It reminded me of how my own mother looked when she was younger. My mom always wore this vest, like you see in the lower right-hand side. Well, of course, a lot of uh, Chinese women uh, wear these vests to keep themselves warm. And you see her and her face was uh, sometimes uh, sunken uh, from hard work. And when I saw that, I saw my mother in so many cases in the picture and I thoroughly love the movie. When you have a chance, you might uh, see it. And she won a award, Pearlis Buck, whose novel was the, the Good Earth that the movie was based upon, was born and raised in China. She was a daughter of missionaries, spent most of her life in China. Her novel was the best-selling uh, fiction in 1931, 1932, won the Pulitzer Prize. And I think that she became the very first American woman to win the Nobel Prize in literature for her accurate 
depiction of peasant life in China. She wasn't like you might say a Caucasian who just write what she thinks. She lived in China. She wrote and spoke Chinese. And it was because of the influence of her missionary parents that after she came and left the country because of the Cultural Revolution, she wanted to go back to China as a missionary because she realized how much the people in Asia need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, let me ask you this question. I started off this uh, survey by talking about, I'm gonna focus on one woman. And this one woman is the mother of Moses. Who do you think was the mother of Moses? Was it Zipporah, Miriam, Leah, or Yochavet? Well, if you said A, the answer is wrong. If you said D, you're right. I want to focus uh, right now on the story of Yochavet here. This lady here, all right, she's uh, very few references mentioned about her anywhere in the Bible. Okay, uh, even though very few is mentioned about her, she is famous in that she had a great influence in the history of the faith of God. She's mentioned in the Hebrews eleven twenty three indirectly in the great cloud of witness and mentioned in the Hebrew chapter 11, the hall of fame, which reads as follows. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of worldliness and what's popular in the world. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the greater reward that's promised to all of God's followers. The child was not beautiful as in terms of God, uh, physical appearance. The word in Hebrew refers more to was look healthy and fit. So we don't want people to think, oh, only the cute children are desirable, but the ugly ones we don't want. No, that what he really meant was it was beautiful to behold because it's healthy and she was well taken care of. You see, uh, as pronounced in Hebrew, Yochavit, Yochavit was the daughter of Levi, Jacob's son. She was born at a time when Jacob and his entire household during the famine first entered Egypt. There was a group of 70, the Bible says, who made up Jacob's household who came to Egypt to escape the drought. And Yochavit was the youngest member of them. Her mother died and she was raised up primarily by her father and grandfather. Yay, grandfather's out there. Okay, all right. 
Uh, the father died around the year 2330. It was then that trouble began to appear for her people here. Uh, it was then that a new Pharaoh arose that did not know Joseph. And he ordered that, that all the newborn baby boys um, be put to death because they were grown too numerous in population. And here is a, a cartoon scene from um, the Prince of Egypt cartoon. Jokovic uh, was the, uh, according to rabbinic writings, giving this greater detail than what's in the scripture because the scriptures doesn't mention a whole lot about her except that she was a faithful devout woman. According to rabbinic literature, she was a chief Jewish nurse in Egypt. She loved children. She devoted all her time to helping young Jewish mothers and their babies. And her daughter, Miriam, only about six years of age, was helping her. You could be six years of age and do a lot of wonderful work. And Pharaoh told Jokovic that since you're the one in charge of of uh, nursing the Jewish children, uh, it's up to you. I'm going to see to it that you carry out my orders to kill the baby boys under the age of one. And then the rabbinic literature says that Miriam, the daughter, said to mom, mom, you're not going to kill little babies, are you? And the mother, Yochaved, replied, oh, heaven forbid. And he says that... Uh, Father Abraham taught us to help all people live, even strangers. And that at crossroads on long travels, they would even set up booths, little stations, little tables with food and beverage for travelers to provide shelter for every, anyone in need. And she said, we're going to work hard and ever to make sure that every Jewish child should be saved from Pharaoh. Then Miriam said to the mom, but Pharaoh will kill us. And Jokovic, I told see Miriam, well, that's the risk we will have to take. We must trust in God. <coughs> you see a book that's wrote, written about her, A Mother's Sacrifice. Well, Jokovic's husband said, um, let's separate, which meant let's divorce. What's the use? What's the use of trying to raise up children when we have to just throw our baby boys into the river? But little Miriam said to her father, what you're doing to hurt will hurt our people more than what Pharaoh can do. Pharaoh wants to destroy our baby boys only. But what you're doing is going to destroy the Jewish family. To be no Jewish people left at all. Then no one's going to want to raise a family. So Yochavet and her husband they agree and they remarried. Saying we must do our duty. And we'll let God do his. All because of the guidance of her, their little sea daughter, as it is here.
So Yochavit and Miriam, they work hard day and night to help see young Jewish mothers. They gather, see uh, baby clothing, baby food for the richer Jews to give to the poor ones. They brought help and courage to the uh, enslaved, suffering Jews. Then Miriam prophesied, God told me that I'm going to have a little brother who will save our people. And shortly thereafter, Moses was born. And Jokovic hid the baby for three months on a very excuse. So to keep dodging all the Egyptian inspectors and soldiers and people be coming by. But as the baby grew bigger and bigger, it became harder to keep the baby hidden. So she no longer could hide him. She made a wooden box, lined it, made it watertight, and placed it among see, the reeds and floated down the river and pray that God will take care of him. And little Moses was saved by the daughter, uh, by Pharaoh's daughter, Bitya. Miriam, who followed the, this little see, ark floating by, ran up to him and said, do you need someone to take care of this baby? You know, I know a lady. Her name's Jokovic. She's in charge of all the uh, Jewish, uh, she's a nurse in charge of all the taking care of the Jewish babies. She's very good at taking care of children. Would you like me to call her? And Pharaoh, who had a motherly heart, said, yes. And she found love with this healthy looking baby. So she got her mother, who turned out to be Moses' real mother, to take care of Moses, the baby found floating down the river, as it is here. And you can imagine, she probably gave this child special care, as we all know mothers do. When they take care of their own, there's just something special. And she taught little Moses how to be brave, not telling him who she was. Told him to risk his life to save his brethren, to love his people. And then later on, at, at some point in time, Moses was informed, you are a Hebrew. And from the lesson that he learned from the real mother, Jokovic, he learned to care for his fellow Jew and to risk his life saving a fellow Jew from one of the mean slave drivers, as it is here. Jokovic is referred to by two other names. In the book of Exodus, she's called beautiful because she would make Jewish children healthy by the good care she gave them. They were beautiful in appearance, healthy to look at. And the book of Chronicles, she's also referred to as that, that Jewish because she was a Jewish woman and she risked her life to save the Jews. Yochavit lived to see her daughter Miriam lead all the Jewish women to celebrate and praise God after the crossing the Red Sea. And her two sons, Moses and Aaron, uh, became 
um, the leader of the people, royalty, and the Aaronic priesthood. We're talking about Miriam, the prophetess, Moses, the leader, and Aaron, the priest. Wow! Can you imagine if you had a, if a mother can say, hey, look how my kids turn out. I have three kids. One became a doctor. Whoa, wow. One became a lawyer. Great. And one became the greatest of all, a teacher. Yay! How can you beat that? You have three kids and they turn out so great. You can imagine Yokovit, very little is mentioned about her, but silently inside her heart, she must have been very thankful to God for his blessings for the children she had. In John chapter 16, verse 20 to 22, we are told, Warnings to all of you women out there, all of you men, all of you women. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and you will lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered a baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. We're talking about the greater vision of heaven someday. That see we have, we have pain and sorrow. But we look forward to heaven someday if we are faithful. We must learn several things. Jogavit had strength that saves. Pharaoh's daughter had a, the heart of a mother. And mothers remember. They will see, make a way when there seemed to be no other way out. Like Jogavit did in saving Moses. Mothers love what they do and they do what they love. Their hearts that reaches out, the laps that bounces the baby, embrace more than we can ever imagine. Truly, I can say to you, only God, only God, only God can fully appreciate the influence of a good Christian mother in molding the character in her children. So mother, know that God loves you and we love you too. May you be blessed in all that you do and may your children rise and call you blessed. So to all you mothers out there, know that we care very much for you and are praying for you.